Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Ro Khan. I'm Richard Roper. It's that Christmas time of year, and no matter where you're listening to radio or walking to a mall or just walking down the street, you're hearing a Christmas tune, and most of them suck. We'll tell you the ones wow. that don't, but first... <laughs> well, you're awfully holly jolly. This podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing. It all drives your overall business success because they believe that today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com today to get started. You better not pop, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's making a list. You've compiled a list of some of your favorite Christmas songs of all time. This is near the top of your list. It's very near the top of mine as well. What Santa Claus is coming to town? Yeah. Well, I always well find this it. version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I like. I just like when uh, when Bruce talks to the band on stage. You know. <laughs> you know. You know. Clarence, you've been practicing real hard. Practicing. Get a new saxophone. And then he asks for you know not too many, not too many. <laughs> I always like that. But yeah, that that I love that version of Santa Claus is coming to town. One of my favorite things, Ro, with these Christmas standards is when pop and rock and rap and rhythm and blues stars make it their own and do something different with it. And that's why I love because Santa Claus is coming to town. Like traditional version of that. Oh. It's a little, little, well, it's a little spooky too because you know he he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. You better get a restraining order for goodness sake. You know, there's a lot of this. It's very ominous. You yeah, know? like you know, it feels like the tagline for a horror movie. Santa Claus is coming to town. You better watch out. Yeah. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. And Willem Dafoe is Santa Claus. Right. Well, gotta imagine when that song was written in 1861 or whenever it was written. That was not a good year in America either. But, but you know, when Burl, yeah. let's say when Burl Ives did it, mid-century, last century, yeah. uh, it you know it had this um, you know it's a it's it's a holly jolly Christmassy yeah. kind of world, right? Cheerful anticipation for the holiday, yeah. not any anything. I mean, she mentioned Burl Ives. And that uh, that what is that 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 old fashioned uh, stop motion uh, Rudolph, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And he was the the snowman, right, with the banjo or whatever, right? That was Burl Ives, right? <laughs> yes, that's correct. Silver and gold, <laughs> silver and gold. Yeah, Burl Ives made a lot of voiceover appearances and cartoons after uh, he was too large to actually appear on screen anymore. Oh my and Burl Ives, I, I want to take anything away from Burl Ives. Burl Ives it actually puts in some of the best screen performances especially in the 1950s in that whole kind of southern gothic era that hollywood was like doing cat on a hot tin yeah. roof type stuff yeah, yeah. he was big daddy great always, in all you know, of he was that. Great yeah. that stuff but you know it's interesting you mentioned like okay like we're here in chicago doing the screen time podcast and thanks once again to everybody who is having us uh chart not only here in the states but abroad and that's very exciting and we Encourage everybody to keep on listening and telling your friends about it. Go Hong uh, Kong! Yeah, there you go. We're very, you know, listen, we don't question it. We just thank the the fine listeners in Hong Kong who have been tuning in from the start, really. But we are here in Chicago, and there's an FM station here. And I'm sure this is something, you're a radio veteran, Ro. I'm sure this is something that's not, not Everywhere. just, uh, yeah, local. But it's the light FM, right, in, mm-hmm. in Chicago. Yeah. 
And for decades now, they start playing the holiday songs, what, in Thanksgiving? No. Maybe before no, that. No, 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 Right after, like, November 1. Okay. And I used to, it used to drive me nuts. And then I realized I'm the idiot here because they get amazing ratings with that. And it cost them. They popped to number one in November. Incredible. And, you know, unfortunately, you don't really need a lot of on-air talent to just keep playing the Christmas tunes. And they have some wonderful DJs. So so I guess this is something that happens across the country now, right? The one station in, in the market will play nonstop holiday tunes. My biggest problem with that is that they seem to always have kind of limited playlists. True, as most music stations do. A music station that has 500 songs on its playlist mm. is as about as big a playlist as okay. you're going to find in any radio station. So, I always feel like, maybe it's when I just tune in, but it's always the same. And probably, I get this too, probably inoffensive. You know, you're not going to get uh, Yeezy or somebody uh, or whatever the kids are listening or, you know, Billie Eilish doing some dirge. Or, well, maybe they do. I don't know. But it's always it always feels like it's Andy Williams singing at the most wonderful time of the year. That seems to be the uh, yeah. only song I ever hear. Okay, so you would have a 50-song heavy rotation. Okay. And then you will have 100 in a more moderate rotation. And then you're going to have another hundred that are going to be in a more sparse rotation. Okay. That's basically how music is programmed on any kind of, uh, you know, top forty station. Oh, Not gotcha. that it's really top forty anymore, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Most music stations station. program in that yeah. kind of format, unless you've got some sort of an eclectic rock okay. kind of thing. So I'm going to hear uh, Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas" much more often than I might hear the Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band uh, version of. Right, they're all uh, in the Santa playlist. Claus is coming to town. But right. they're going to kind of move their way. Now I don't know if the light and I, I've, I've, uh, I'm still on my uh, my 20 year. I refuse to listen to this unless I'm being forced by you know girlfriend, ex wife, something. You Someone know, in your life in the with, car with right. influence. Yes, with, with. <laughs> let's turn this on. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, I guess Some, so. Somebody with but, button privileges, or in these days, you know, uh, app privileges to call correct. out the songs. Yeah. Yes, and and the uh, the other piece is, you know, you mentioned that. Obviously, you know, with Sirius XM, they've got their own channels for this. You've got apps galore, whether you're listening, you know, to Apple Music or Spotify or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. however you choose to consume your music anymore. I still don't know how commercial radio survives in the music world because there now you can program to your algorithm so everything that plays is something that you're interested in at some level, whereas in commercial radio, they're still guessing who's listening. That's a good it. point. Yeah, and when it comes to holiday music, I've done like just about everybody else. I've got my own uh, playlist of favorites. So, and I know you now. They're like, okay, let's say Rokan's hosting that rare cocktail party that you uh-huh. that you only do, you know, <laughs> well, only on special holidays: Arbor Day, Flag Day, right, yeah. uh, Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. But if you're hosting Wednesday, let's say you're hosting a holiday party, and yeah. how would you kick off? What would be the song that your your holiday go to song? I actually did this once. Uh, where I just had this Christmas play over and over and over and over again, hmm. and uh, the great Donny Hathaway, right, right, is the is the best version of that without question. But there are some other versions of it. As a matter of fact, it's crazy. I saw Chris Stapleton do a version of it on really? that super hokey. Christmas special from Washington, D.C. that CBS oh, did yeah. last weekend or two weekends ago, whenever the hell it was. And I was like, wow, that's pretty crazy. And her. It was Chris Stapleton and her were doing a duet of it. 
and it was badass. Yeah, I, saw, I didn't hear it, but I heard a lot of people talking about it, and that that is always interesting to me. Um, and you know, we've mentioned you know pop and rock singers. You, you, I go all the way back when I look at some of my favorites to uh, the great James Brown, who did "Santa Claus Go Straight to the Ghetto," which was one of the first <laughs> songs that said, "Hey, guess what? You right. know, we have Santa yeah. and Christmas too." Uh, let's take a little listen to "Santa Claus Go Straight to the Ghetto." What's better than together with your people? Where wishes give a toast by the tree is Merry Christmas. Santa Claus on the ceiling, Jack Frost chilling, pinch the Grinch for being a holiday villain. Seasons greetings, all the proceedings are brought to you by the church house where we'll be eating. Chestnuts roasting on the open fire. That's good stuff right there. You know what I like about this, too, is it does remind a fresh little white boy from downtown Chicago mm. as the first time I heard that song as, oh, my God, Santa's got to go there, too. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, no, it's crazy, real. right? Yeah, no, and that's I mean, why that's a song uh, that that is a, 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 a seminal piece of Christmas music for for generations actually you know of course James Brown was always doing stuff like that now here's another one for you this is a song that you know a lot of times it's the you know the Vienna choir or something oh, you know, this, God. It, the, the little drummer boy but then yeah oh Bob Seeger and the silver bullet band rocked the hell out of the little drummer boy yeah that's great that is great but yeah. I gotta say the the one that is kind of become the standard, the go-to, mm. is that Bing Crosby and David Bowie version. Oh, that's um, Little uh, Drummer Boy, then uh, segues to Peace on Earth. Yes, right. Okay. Right. But, right. We, but no, we, you're right. That's amazing. David Bowie makes everything creepy, right? And it doesn't matter what it is. He makes it haunting. Yeah, I, but creepy also, is the wrong but word. But also, yeah, beautiful yes and oh my ethereal God. Oh. And, and heavenly and for folks who don't know uh we're gonna play a little bit of this because it was a tv special right and the conceit yeah. was that uh david bowie had just moved in next door <laughs> in some christmas village to bing crosby right. like bing would so, never let that happen so and, and and david comes over right and and he doesn't know bing and they and they say you know and at one point bing says something like well i'm a little bit of a singer myself and then they kick into it. So I like let's listen to a little bit of the dialogue there before they kick into the song. It, I don't think they either either one of them won any Emmys for their performances, but it was such a juxtaposition. Here's uh, David Bowie and Bing Crosby meeting for the first time. Yes. Hello, you the new butler? <laughs> what? Oh, I'm David Bowie. I live down the road. Oh, Sir Percival lets me use his piano when he's not around. He's not around, is he? I can honestly say I haven't seen him, but come on in. Come yes. in. But, uh, come on in. I'm Bing. Oh, I'm pleased to meet you. You're the one that sings, right? Well, right or wrong, I sing either way. Oh, well, I sing too. Oh, good. What kind of singing? Well, mostly the contemporary stuff. Do you, uh, do you like modern music? Oh, I think it's marvelous. Some of it really fine. And this one. This is my son's favorite. Do you know this one? Oh, I do indeed. It's a lovely thing. I love that era of television yeah. where they thought the audience was stupid enough to kind of buy in to, as you said, the conceit of that. Yeah. That all of a sudden we've got 
Bing Crosby and David Bowie because there are in generational yeah. shifts there, right? That was a moment where the generations were distinctly different. Now the generations are a little smoother, believe it or not. I know it seems less like it now, yeah. but really in through the Vietnam War, that was a, that was literally the DMZ were the baby boomers versus the greatest generation. Yeah. Now we can, you know, now you can enjoy the same music your kids do. That was the whole idea. Now was, well, who the hell are you? Well, who the hell are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you a story. I don't know if if, if any if I've ever told you this story, Ro. Um, this is going back about ooh, 15 or 16 years now. And I can't find this anywhere, even though everything's somewhere on YouTube or on some other site. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel did an ABC special that they probably wouldn't let him do now because he's become more mainstream and accepted, but he was just coming up. He did an, he did an ABC holiday special that made fun of all of the holiday specials of days gone by. So the conceit was he was in his house hosting a Christmas party and people kept knocking at the door. And he'd say, and this is true. And so they asked Roger Ebert and myself to participate in this. So the doorbell would ring and he'd open up and he goes, why, it's movie critics Ebert and Roper. Come on in, Ebert and Roper. Say hello to Mike Tyson, among <laughs> others. And then we all did a medley of Here Comes Santa Claus, Here Comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Okay. That is somewhere out there. I have not ever seen the footage because after we did it, I thought this might not have been a great idea because they put this in Santa hats and we're singing Here Comes Santa Claus, Here Comes Santa Claus. But it kind of played into those old uh, specials. I also like... Um, when you get the uh, the super groups together, do you remember? Do they know it's Christmas by Band Aid? Yeah, you're not a fan. No, come on. No, it, it was not. all about those poor kids, and they didn't even know it was Christmas. <laughs> Bono, and who else was in there? Everybody was on there. <laughs> That's what I like when see, the thing about Bono, and I love you too. I love Bono. I love the Edge. Yeah. I, I'm I'm all over the whole thing. I even like the other guy, but I <laughs> am going to say that. Bono always makes me feel badly about anything that's going on. It's like I have not done enough. When I look at Bono, even when he's, you know, just in the you know, the cool glasses and a black outfit, I'm like, I'm not doing enough for humanity, man. <laughs> oh, okay. He doesn't have to that's say anything. True. That's true. He's a, he's a little bit of a downer. He comes right. with the yellow tinted sunglasses and says, <laughs> you know, stop the celebrating. I want to show you this movie. Uh, how about this one? And this is another one where when you, you know some of these songs you listen to and you realize they you know they kind of like they're all Christmassy but then they're kind of dark. Father Christmas by Greg Lake. Oh, is yeah. a song that like you know he, he it starts off with this beautiful acoustic guitar and it sounds like something where you can almost see the snow falling on a a village in Switzerland or something. And then he kind of says like you know eh, they said there'd be snow on Christmas, you know, and I hope there's a peaceful Christmas, but don't bet on it. You know, this was a whole thing in British rock and roll. As a matter of fact, it's actually one of the plot points from Love Actually that big pop stars would do their Christmas song. Right. And sometimes yeah, they true. make it in the United States or internationally, yeah. but oftentimes they don't. And sometimes you got pop stars that are kind of still stuck on the island there, and they have one, and they submit it to the BBC, and then if it gets played, ah, it's a okay. big deal. So that's why you see almost every major act that is a British act has some version of a Christmas song. Ah, so the Bill Nighy uh, character yeah. 
And, and love actually, I know it's come under fire in recent years, but for different you know woke things and how it treats various characters and stuff. I think it's still a brilliant film. And and I I saw recently, Ro, there's a whole uh, uh, family tree and relatives tree because everybody's you know kind of connected to everybody else. We find out that uh, Hugh Grant's prime minister is the brother of. Um, Emma Thompson's uh, character and and different you know situations or this guy's this guy's neighbor and that's the only freestanding storyline in all of Love Actually is Bill Nye as the aging uh, rock singer and right. you know who's just hanging with his manager and he says if he, if it goes to number one he'll perform it naked so they're all watching it on television and stuff but it's kind of an interesting thing to look for. And I'm just thinking when you're talking about the British stars, like, oh, yeah, then Paul McCartney did Wonderful Christmas Time. Because he always has to be chipper. Right. You know, everybody else is going to do something that's kind of got some. And I love Paul McCartney, but, you know, his was like, oh, just a little plunk here. Wonderful Christmas Time, everyone. (laughs) Elton John had one from the 1970s that did not make the U.S. charts. Mm. It's on some of those compilation albums that you could get. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's all digital, but you can look up like it, it just and you can tell that it was like, a oh, they, the manager called and goes, you know, <laughs> even if it was before Sir Elton. Hey, what we need here is I need a Christmas song. Can you do a Christmas song? And they're like, all right. And then the next thing you know, like five minutes later, will this do? And yeah. I think a lot of those were afterthoughts, unfortunately. Gotcha, gotcha. And, I, you know, I'll just close by saying uh, when I do my playlist row every year, um, you always got to play the Charlie Brown Christmas special soundtrack, right? The Vince Giraldi trio, yes. if you will. I was at a Christmas dinner on Saturday night, and exactly that happened. There was all of a sudden one of the guests got up and said, "What? Well, why, why don't we have the Peanuts Christmas album on? Yeah. Yeah. And the host of the dinner went over to his, I shit you not, <laughs> went over to his turntable and pulled out a tattered album Ooh, nice. of the Peanuts Christmas and put it on. You can hear the that sound the crackling that thing. it yeah, makes yeah, when yeah. you put the needle on and 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 we and it didn't skip, which I was kind of amazed. Shocking, by. yeah. I want to put my drink on it and see if I could slow it down enough while it was going around to see what would happen. But that's see, we would me. yeah, we would always do things like you'd find a small pebble and tape it to the to the turntable to the needle, right? <laughs> you know, the stylus, so that would keep it from from uh, skipping. Uh, and that Charlie Brown Christmas. One other thing for uh, folks yes. to look for on, on the interwebs, and you could just find this on on Twitter or whatever. If you just Google this, um, people have unearthed uh, photos, and I, I don't know if there's any actual footage, but definitely photos of the child actors from 60 years ago doing the voice recordings for Charlie Brown and Lucy and Linus, and it's amazing because these kids kind of look like the characters they're voicing, yeah. like a little uh-huh. Charlie Brown dude. Yeah. yeah, it's really nice. That was cool. All right, let's talk about Portillo's. Okay. The finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's, you know, not just hot dogs. A lot of, you know, when it started in Chicago, people were like, oh, it's a hot dog shop. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We got, we got Italian beef? Wait. We got Italian sausage? Wait. You got chocolate cake? <laughs> Oh man, it's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have, and I, I think I just said this a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new in California, Arizona, parts of Florida, check it out. Go have the chocolate cake. 
you get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago, or you're from the East Coast too, because you know that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be so heavy. It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillo's mm. is that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet. Yeah. That is the perfect piece of bread. <laughs> and, you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not going to hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S is how you spell that. Portillo's.com. Find a store near you or order online. And you can get it anywhere in the United States of America. Portillo's.com. Okay, so it's a Tuesday, so we're going to do what not to watch, which you know we can do any day yeah. of the week that we want. But then the Tuesday bunch, which is because we got be more movies. than three. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured you know it's, we're going into the holidays Look here, and of course, as always, this is one thing that hasn't really changed in thirty years, even with uh, day and date releasing and streaming and all that other stuff. They still, and I say they, I mean the studios, uh, still wait to the end of the year to, to to flood us with all these big movies, a lot of prestige projects. So I want to give you a couple of warnings. Row. There's one called The King's Man, and this Uh-oh. is a prequel to that King's Man thing, King's, King's Man, Man yeah. uh, with uh, Colin Firth. Uh, speaking of love, actually, this is a prequel that goes back to the earliest part of the 20th century, and Ray Fiennes as the founder of this secret organization. Mm-hmm. This is one of those strange hybrids that can't decide if it's going to be this sort of epic moving tale or some sort of stylized Guy Ritchie shoot 'em up and it's somewhere in between and it sucks so hard <laughs> and is so weird and it 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 takes place you know in this time period with real historical figures like Rasputin yeah. and various kings and oligarchs and Lenin showing up in the oh. Soviet Union and it's just done in such a weird bizarre at one point oddly kinky off-putting fashion and i'm all for historical fiction where they use characters that we know existed in real life and it and take a different twist on it but when they're just kind of kind of cynically exploiting it bro this is just a strange odd violent unfunny off-putting cringe-inducing film the king's man is actually going to be on my list of one of the worst movies of this year so don't see it. So my project, Trotsky the Musical, <laughs> is probably not going to find that. your way to a good list. Trotsky the yeah. Musical. Yeah. Oh, that, that just rolls off <laughs> Oh, the boy, that Mexico Wait, City scene is the, bad. The, 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 the merchandise alone for Trotsky. <laughs> the Musical. I've got I, the Trotsky to you. I want to say that I knew when I saw the commercial for this movie, I knew you were going to hate it because you hated the second Kingsman movie. I did. I did. You put that on some list of do not watch or I'll never speak to you again. I did. But the first Kingsman movie you liked. I thought it was it was a clever take on kind of the, you know, the uh, super spy movies uh-huh. and it did have a great combination of this wild outlandish violence crossed with dark humor and the last two have been just terrific oh man and i I said horrific there by the way not terrific for those of you listening on (laughs) on your on your vinyls that you've somehow transferred us to your vinyl turntable uh the other real disappointment in terms of franchises row is we finally got matrix resurrections this is the fourth movie in the matrix trilogy the first matrix in 1999 
was an unabashed classic. Uh, you know, you can't deny it changed the way we looked at cinema, the bullet time, the special effects, the Wachowskis yeah. came up with something really unique Just recently and original. rewatched it. Amazing it's, film. It's a great film. And and I love Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss and Lawrence Fishburne and everybody in this. Uh, Hugo Weaving, who famously says Mr. Anderson about seven different ways, right? <laughs> uh, and then the, the next two, we got so deep into The Matrix, I rewatched them, to, you know, because it's been like 17 years since, because they came out in rapid fire fashion. I don't know what the hell was happening by the end of this. We were in the Matrix, we are out of the Matrix, but it seemed to end. It came to an end, right? You know, spoiler alert, Neo gives himself up, sacrifices himself so that a portion of the real world can still exist outside of the Matrix, essentially. So Matrix Resurrections might as well have been called Contractual Obligation because it's like, well, well let's bring them back to life. Uh, yeah. Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity and Keanu Reeves as Neo. And it's great to see them. They both look amazing. Yeah. So it's set in, a, in, a, in kind of a present day. 20 years have transpired, but it's just this convoluted effort that tells us why they're actually still alive in the real world. And then we're back in the Matrix. Uh, but then uh, Morpheus is younger, and they never really explain why. And... Uh, uh, all these other characters, the Oracle is back, but it's different. And then all of a sudden, Neil Patrick Harris is a therapist to the undead or something. And it looks kind of great, although a little dated. The special effects are kind of still, you know, hmm. rooted in that time period, I think, on purpose so that it feels like it's it's in sync with that. But it just goes all over the place and nowhere and feels completely unnecessary and really disappointing. So oh, stick away, stay away uh, from Matrix Resurrections. Watch the original. You don't even really have to watch the other two, right? No, I don't think you do. As a matter of fact, I didn't understand a single thing that happened in two, and I didn't watch three as a result of that. I'm one of those people that once the franchise disappoints me, I'm not going back. There's so many moments in the in the, the third film and in this film where characters are just saying things like, well, what is the answer going to be? Well, the answer is going to be what you want it to be when you find it, and you'll know it when you hear it. But what am I looking for? That's the question we all want to know. You're like, this is just a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> Nobody's saying anything here. Oh, okay? God, all right. Okay. So that's what we're not watching. All right, the Tuesday bunch. What should we be watching? I'm going to give you a bunch in rapid fire fashion here, Ro. And these are movies for our listeners. I know, you know, internationally and certainly even across the country. Some of these are going to be coming out Christmas weekend. Some of these might not be coming to your local market till early January. Some of them will be streaming. So you just got to kind of, you know, look for these in your local market. Everybody knows how to find stuff these days because yeah. they, you know, they just do the simple search. I do want to start off with a sequel that I really did like, and that is Spider Man No Way Home. This is the Tom Holland Spider Man. Uh, the third in that trilogy. He's also appeared, obviously, in other Marvel Universe mm -hmm. movies. I think he's the best, with due respect to Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. And I don't want to give away a lot of the secrets here because they've been tightly held, but enough has been seen in the trailer. Uh, it starts with Peter Parker's identity has been revealed. Spider-Man's identity has been revealed. He's Peter Parker. First time ever. Everybody knows because of stuff that happened in the last movie. So he goes to Doctor Strange. Little Peter Parker goes to Doctor Strange and says, can you do one of your magic spells? Said only the people that knew me as Spider-Man before this revelation that the whole world knows, only the people that knew who I was would still know. The problem with that is yeah. that opens a loophole, which oh, no. means all of the other villains. He from tore all the, the time. Other, no, yes, he tore the time. So, yes, that means MJ and Ned and Aunt May and uh -huh. Happy know who Spider-Man really is. But also the villains from previous Spider-Man movies like Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin and Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, they know who he is. Oh. So they're 
all of a sudden they zip through the warp, through the wormhole, and they're like, and they're looking at him, and this is a great play on the fact they're they're Vent three Spider Man. They like you know, so Willem Dafoe is the Green Goblin. He's all of a sudden, and he looks at him, and he, and he goes, "You're not Peter Parker," because <laughs> he thinks Peter Parker's Tobey Maguire. So it's very meta, but not done in a cutesy, condescending way, but in a really cool way. So wow. I really liked Spider Man No Way Home. All right, all right. Now here's one for you for folks who are fans of Yellowstone, the huge hit Kevin Costner series on uh, Paramount Plus, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. There's a prequel coming out called 1883, set in 1883, and it tells the story of the Dutton family's origins. So this would be, uh, and it starts Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, the real-life husband and wife. And and Tim McGraw plays one of the Duttons, and that's the famous family that we see. And he would be like Kevin Costner's like great-grandfather, I think. The timeline, you have to figure it all out. I think, maybe even his grandfather, because uh, his son, who's Probably five, is the dad. Yeah. yeah, it's his grandfather, now that I think about it, because there's a little five-year-old boy who would be Kevin Costner's dad, eventually, in the, in the series. Be he's already gone, I'm so. going back to great-grandfather. I think it's, well, if you do the it's timeline, the Costner's 65, so, yeah, 130, take away the two, <laughs> minus the Civil War. They never uh, explain it, though, right? They're not like, yeah, well, you the can't point, really tie it the, back. The great thing is you don't really need to have watched Yellowstone to just enjoy this as one of yeah. the great Western TV series since Lonesome Dove. It's beautifully done, Ro. Looks has like the it. great Sam Elliott in it, this amazing cast. And Tim McGraw and Faith Hill, I have to say. Now, Tim McGraw, we know, we know he acts. We've seen him act in a lot of different things. Faith Hill, not so much. We believe them as this husband and wife farmer couple who are tough as hell and ride horses and do all that stuff. They're terrific together. 1883. Awesome. I want that to be great because I really be like Yellowstone. It got a little fantastical as it got older, yeah. you know, as a lot of those series do. And I'm hoping that it'll come back home, you know, as it makes the round. I think it's got one more season left contractually. I think so. I would say this. Um, Yellowstone is a bright and sunny romp compared to 1883. <laughs> you know, the shit they go through. Well, right. Uh, the, Literally. The, the way people die. You in, in just the first couple episodes, there's, of course, gunfights. Mm -hmm. There's arrows from the Native Americans. Yep. There's the smallpox. Oh, yeah. There's rattlesnakes. Oh, yeah. And there's more. I, I think I counted eight different ways in which various characters die or almost die in the first three episodes of 1883. They don't do an homage to the Donners, do they? I can't say. I'm not gonna. I do, I'll just say that there's a, a a large party of immigrants making their way across uh, from West Texas all the way up, to, mm -hmm. uh, hopefully to get to Oregon. And mm -hmm. not everybody's gonna make the trip. A lot of them got one way tickets. Mm -hmm. mm, good eating. All right, let me give you one more. Yep. Because we've had so much fun on this podcast, and we got another podcast coming up later this week where we're gonna turn our attention to 2022. I want to mention Licorice Pizza from Paul Thomas Anderson, the great filmmaker who has given his Boogie Nights and Soap Magnolia. And he, yeah. he does these great, sprawling, interconnected yeah. films. And this is set in the, the 1970s in California, and it's kind of his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All kinds of interconnecting stories. Some people are on the fringes of show business, political candidates, high schoolers, the advent of the waterbed, pinball machines. It just captures all of that perfectly, Ro. It's called Licorice Pizza, one of the best movies of 2021 coming out at the very end oh. of 2021. And on the next podcast, we'll be looking ahead 
to what the best movies of 2022 might be or the ones you at least are going to want to go see. Yep. Road Over Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. I want to thank Renee Nelson and Tim Alanius, our executive producers, and Dominia Menezes for her undying hard work. Happy first-year anniversary, Demita. <laughs> See you next time.